Welcome to episode 20 of the Librarian's Guide to Teaching podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jessica. And on today's episode, we are talking about our experiences with faculty collaboration in the classroom. But before we get started with our conversation, how are you doing? How, uh, anything exciting happening this week? Just uh, same old, same old, other than the weather finally changing. Um, I mean, we're both in the Northeast and we're finally seeing some summer, although it came immediately after what felt like winter, which was just bizarre. So I feel like we had no spring and now all of a sudden my kid's in a pool. <laughs> it's like, what's happening? Yeah. Um, but that was fun. We did get to go out and get some water play today, um, which is nice. Um, and just being a little more outside in nature. I feel like for the first part of stay at home, we were just literally stuck inside because the weather was terrible. And uh, it was probably better in terms of keeping people away from each other. It was, yeah. at least we didn't feel so cooped up because we couldn't go outside. It was crappy weather. But, um, but now everybody's a little ready to at least go out a little bit. And it's nice to have uh, a nice weather to go out to. Um, other than that, I'm working on um, updating an English module for a faculty member uh, for her class. So summer classes are kicking off, which is great. I think they started, yes, uh, I don't remember, in, in uh, late May, they started. So I'm working on um, building that for her to be exactly what she wants for students. So um, I'm excited to finally get back, like working on class stuff. What about you? Um, so I just got notification that my uh, poster proposal got accepted to the New Jersey Library Association conference, which is exciting. Yay! Yay, except the conference was canceled. Right. <laughs> um, so, and they're not sure if they're going to do a virtual thing just yet. So like two things are going on at once. So um, my association, I think like several associations has sections. And so I'm a part of the college and university section. So my section is talking about doing like their own mini virtual conference so that the people who did submit can present if they want to. But then there's like whole divide like, well, is it really gonna be an official conference because people who have 10 year packets that they have to fill out, is it gonna count? Um, so some people might steer away, so they might not even do it. Um, but then also the New Jersey Library Association is dabbling with the idea of doing a virtual thing in the fall and that they're, they're gonna invite some, but not all. But even if they do, I don't know if I'm going to do it because technically I'll still be on leave till the end of uh, September. So I don't even know if I'm going to get to present. So it's kind of a bummer that, you know, mm. I think I got accepted to a conference, but it's kind of a bummer that I don't get to present. So um, that's pretty much what's going on this week um, with me. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, hopefully something comes out of it. They, I think conference planning committees were in a really big bind this year and a lot of them I've noticed have done a great job of moving them online um, so that people can still get all of that great professional development and information and allow people to still present. So yeah. hopefully that works out. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm currently working on two separate things right now. So I'm working on the planning for our summer workshop, which I mentioned in a previous um, episode which is a one day thing, um, which is a half day conference um, of just lightning talks and round tables. And I'm also starting the planning process for the largest academic library conference in New Jersey, 
Um, and I've already noticed a change in attendance um, to participate for the planning committee. So I've only got like 10 people participating, whereas typically I get anywhere from like 15 to 25. So I think people are nervous to invest their time in the conference um, if they don't know what's going to happen. But I think I need to go back to people and explain to them that we are going to have it regardless, um, mm -hmm. virtual or on site. And this conference is in January. So hopefully things by then will have some answers and some, you know, the, the social gathering event number will be higher. So hopefully we won't have a problem. Um, but, but I don't know. So yeah, I'm definitely seeing a difference. I think people are just not willing to invest yet in future conferences until they know for sure what's going to happen. And I don't blame them. Right. Yeah. I noticed a ACRL pushed back the, um, the deadline too. It was May 8th and they pushed it back to May 22nd. So I was wondering if that was probably a part of it too, that they wanted to give people more time to decide or to put thought into their, um, proposals because maybe they people were holding back so maybe their numbers were low yeah I don't know we'll see what happens I mean I feel like every day is something different we just don't know yet right exactly just a, a little intro about today's topic this is an episode that I've that we both wanted to do for a while I think it is a big topic around um, successful instruction especially for those of us who do the one-shot model uh, so you know we wanted to talk about you know those relationships and um, how how it does heavily rely on the faculty collaboration so in this episode we are going to uh, discuss our experiences our challenges we're going to take a look at some examples that we found um, online um, talk some pie in the sky scenarios and then also I found this really great article that talks about some tips so we'll also talk about that as well and share our perspectives Great. Yeah, I think this is going to be chock full. So uh, to get us started, what has your experience been with collaborating with faculty in the classroom? So I have a, a lot of experience. Um, I would say that most of my interactions with faculty are not true collaborations, but more faculty kind of just letting me do my thing, go into the classroom, telling me like bare minimum of like what the research assignment is or what they're looking for, and then giving me a time slot. Um, you know, I really wish that the faculty would take more interest in, um, in what the students really need. Um, but that's, like I said, it's not always the case. Um, on, you know, on occasion, I've worked with a professor to create a rubric. Uh, there's this one professor I've worked with since like day one, um, and he does this great debate um, at the end of the semester as the assignment. And he actually asked me to collaborate with him to, to um, create this rubric that, incorporates information literacy as one of the um, like criteria so i've worked with him on that that's been successful um i had one professor once who was building a course reach out to me uh, to ask to support for course resources and then um one time i had a professor ask me to collaborate with them on a research assignment to develop a research assignment um, and that was such a great experience and um, i think it was pretty successful um, because I think the faculty was invested and they understood what was needed and actually she actually reached out to me and said, you know, can, does, does this exist in the library? You know, can I even ask the students to look for these things? And 
it was just like the dream because there's so many times, there's so many times where students are looking for sources that don't exist, but their professors are asking them for those sources. And it's just, I think it's a lack of awareness of what is actually available in our collections. What about you? Yeah, I think that's such an important question that that faculty member asked, and I wish it was asked so much more, <laughs> right? Because it's like these, these assignments can sometimes be designed around stuff that just isn't possible or it's, it doesn't, um, what they're asking them to look for doesn't actually fit with what they're trying to do information literacy wise. So it's such a good question. And we'll definitely get to that later on of different ways to tackle that. Yeah. Um, overall, my experiences have been positive, but traditional kind of like you were saying by traditional just that I reach out to the faculty, explain the services I can provide, they pick from that, and then give me their research assignment and I create something. Um, and that works well to a point, obviously. Um, a majority of the faculty that I've worked with have given me the autonomy to do what I want to do and trusted me to create something valuable um, and appreciated what I've done afterwards, which is important. Um, and I do try to give them a heads up about what I'm gonna do, like sending a summary or examples of activities but I could really probably count on one hand the number of faculty that really gave me feedback on what I send. Normally it's just like, okay, thanks. And uh, they usually reply with something like, you know, I actually, let me say, I wish that they replied with something like, you know, this part works really well, or this part might be more relevant to the students if you did it this way. But most of the time I just get back like, sure, that's great. Um, so that would be, so those have been really rewarding classes when I've had faculty actually say that back to me. But like I said, maybe only a handful of times. Mm -hmm. um, and the other scenario I get is one a lot of librarians have had, I'm sure, which is just radio silence to our outreach, just nothing. Um, I had really one promising uh, situation that turned disappointing last semester where I emailed the chair of a department um, to talk about potential outreach. And he emailed me back, we set up a meeting, we met, we talked about libraries in general, about the program, ways we could support the faculty. I went back to the, to the library, I researched stuff, I responded with ideas, and then nothing. <laughs> so it was like, oh my goodness, I thought I was onto something um, really fruitful there, and then nothing. I mean, not to mention that a lot of times that happens when you just reach out to do a class and you get nothing. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of yeah, that's frustrating. I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I currently have like six professors who have not reached back, who've not responded to my email or, or who said, oh, thanks for reaching out. Um, I'll get, I'll get in touch with you. And they haven't. So I definitely have to follow up with them um, to make it happen. Right, exactly. The, my favorite faculty member is one that I've been working with the last two semesters. She's just so engaged in her classes and it really shows in her student work. Um, she asked me over the past remote learning period to do a synchronous Zoom session. And even though she kind of waits for the last minute to get back to me, she always sends me a ton of info. She actually gets on the phone with me to talk me through what she wants. Wow. And so I can actually ask her questions. Um, and she, she did that with me when I worked with her in the fall as well. And some librarians may not want that like phone interaction, but for me, it was super helpful. And I could really get feedback on uh, from her about stuff. She gave me in, uh, feedback on my PowerPoint, on my LibWizard form. And so I, I know that I was creating something relevant to her students. And I went in way more confident knowing that what I created was what she wanted. So I think 
I want more of those types of engagements. And I think that's hopefully what we'll talk about a little bit more is how do we get those, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that is nice. Yeah, I, I rarely ever talk to faculty over the phone. I think I can count on one hand how many times a professor has said to me, hey, can we talk on the phone about this? You know, it's always either been in person or in an email, but 90% of the time in an email. Exactly, right. So on the flip side, what has been the most challenging experience you've ever had with a faculty? So I have a few examples, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Seriously. There is one example, um, pretty, I'd say earlier on in my career, maybe, I don't know, about six, seven years ago, um, the library was working on uh, creating a module and we were asking for faculty feedback on that module. And um, the professor responded back with very negative and inappropriate comments about my voice, um, saying that it sounded so childlike and that you know students were not gonna be able to relate to me and that no one would take me seriously. And like, besides the fact that it hurt my feelings, it's just like, I just didn't think that was appropriate. And you know, it just, I, I don't know, it was just, it just left a really bad taste in my mouth because I worked really hard, you know, to put that together. And the fact that she just dismissed it, you know, like so quick was just unfortunate. And it had no impact on the content. Like she felt like it, people wouldn't take you seriously, but that's, there's no way that a, a voice like yours <laughs> right. impacts the content. No, so that was kind of unfortunate. And then I have a few other examples where, you know, work goes unappreciated. So there's one instance where uh, the library was asked at the last minute, 11th hour kind of sort of deal to put these bibliographies together. I think you might've been at Berkeley when we had to do that, right? When we mm -hmm. had all those bibliographies at the last minute. Um, and then someone, I think it was, I think it was a higher up at a faculty day made a comment um, that faculty, you know, um, should just disregard those bibliographies that those librarians put together. Um, meaning, meanwhile, we were in the room when she said that, and we worked really hard to put those together. You know, we worked really hard in a short period of time. We really, we really looked at their syllabi to do this, you know, and it's just, it was just work that went unappreciated. And like, that was frustrating. Right. Um, another recent example, too, actually, is I thought I was making progress with a chair um, for, you know, um, in a department, and, you know, we had a conversation about two things. He approached me about streaming media. He said, none of my courses have streaming media. I want streaming media in my courses. We worked on this whole, um, we did a huge overhaul of all of our streaming media related to all of their courses in the, in, in the program. And I gave the, you know, the, the chair the list and I said, here it is, um, look it over, you know, take a look at them, you know, have your blueprint developers look at them and get back to us and we'll be happy to embed them in your course. Oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. I want my people to um, embed it themselves. I want to make sure they have the technical skills. To this day, not a single video has been embedded. So it's mm. frustrating. It's another, and it's another example of work being thrown out for no reason. Um, and then, and then we also had a, a conversation um, about embedding uh, information literacy modules into these courses as standardized opportunities. 
And he was like, yes, do it. This is great, blah, blah, blah. We did it. We reached out to him twice. And he's like, oh, I'll take a look at this and get back to you. Radio silence. So to me, I mean, and that took us a lot of work. I mean, we met over several months. We revised. We created interactive components to it. And now it's just, just there. And I think, unfortunately, for that particular course, he is the only one that teaches that course. So that module is probably never going to get used unless we really push the issue. So those are just kind of some unfortunate, challenging examples. I do have one more. Um, I have, and this happened to me a few times, but one time that sticks out in my head the most is when I was teaching a class um, with a professor that I worked with before. So she seen me present, but it was a class that was new to her. And she like pretty much hijacked my session and I barely got through half of my contact. Like she was like, to her, she was helping me like sell the content. But to me, she was just kind of interrupting me. And like, I had a flow and I had like um, active learning activities that we didn't even get to because she just kept interrupting me. And it was so unfortunate because it was, it was, it was gonna be great, but she was helping and it was just hard to kind of get that control back. Yeah, exactly. I've had a few of those as well. Um, and I just think that these types of strange or even rude <laughs> faculty situations just remind us that, um, you know, these sometimes are people that we don't know, right? We're normally used to dealing with our library team members who we deal with on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. And you get comfortable with communicating with those people. Whereas communicating with faculty, you may be communicating with someone that you've you're still getting to know, right? And so you, it helps us build our communication skills. I know it's helped me learn to be assertive with people that, I don't know, how do I send that weird email, that awkward email about why my voice is weird, right? <laughs> like that's something that normally we wouldn't have to do if we were just dealing with our, well, maybe we would if you're in a toxic work environment, but in yeah. our normal libraries, I know I've been lucky to, to, to work with great teams that I haven't had to do that. Right. Um, so I think that's, I try to see the positive in some of the challenges and that I feel like it has taught me so much about standing up for myself and for the work that I do and um, just teaching me some of those communication and leadership skills that maybe I wouldn't get. But I've been lucky in general to not have had many challenging experiences. Um, the most that I've been have kind of been what you were mentioning about um, having the faculty try to take over when I'm teaching. And those have more so been when I was doing the demo-based teaching than the discussion-based classes. Um, it's usually the faculty that provided me with the bare minimum of information too about what they wanted. <laughs> even if I, even after I emailed them multiple times for clarification, they just happened to be the ones that interrupt in the middle of class and ask me things like, well, can you show them this? Can you show them that? And I've usually said in the past, like, thank you for the suggestion. I'll try to cover it at the end. And that's worked, but I know it doesn't always work. No. No. Um, but for me, I think it's probably worked like 95% of the time. Um, and it's challenging for a few reasons, right? Like it sets the tone in the class that I'm not prepared and I'm not in charge, right? Like, well, well the professor asked her to cover this. Like, why didn't she know that? Um, it derails my thought process. It wastes valuable time that I could be using to have discussions with the students. Um, but I do think there's a difference between interrupting and like almost co-teaching. 
where, which I've had a few times recently, like as students are maybe working on an activity, a few professors that I've worked with have gone around with me and like answered student questions, directed them to, uh, to me instead because they couldn't answer the question, maybe even like stop the class to clarify information about the assignment. And like that to me, I consider collaborative as opposed to the interrupting. So I've really noticed recently a difference between those two and I'm much more welcoming obviously of the faculty member that like gets in there with me and works with the students as opposed to like you know I'm going to do it this way okay well then why did you invite me in <laughs> well I, I have a better one for you I had a professor who changed the assignment on me so I'm in the classroom teaching them how to find biographies and the professor's like oh no I changed that they're working on controversial topics now oh my god so everything that I planned went out the window which is frustrating because, you know, it took me time to develop these things. Um, and it's like, you know, out the window. Right. What did you do? You had to just like come up with something on the fly? I had to just do like a demo on the fly and not have any active learning. I couldn't do any assessment because I didn't have an assessment ready. So it was just it complete. And then it throws you off because you're, you know, I was, I was t teaching and the faces were like a little like blank. And I was like, what's going on here? Then I asked and then the professor was like, oh yeah, no, they're not doing that anymore. So like the professor wasn't even engaged at that point to even notice that I'm teaching something that they're not even doing anymore. Yeah. So and it's like, who suffers from that? The students, not right. even like you, like it sucks for you, but they're yeah. the ones that suffer and that's what's terrible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So how can we work towards changing the culture of faculty collaboration? I mean, we've talked about our experiences and our challenges, but what do we think we can do to change the culture to make it more collaborative? I have a, I have a few ideas. Um, I okay. think we really need to be seen as equals. Um, I think this is something that we constantly struggle with, um, even with our faculty, for those of us who have faculty status. Um, I don't think it's taken seriously in some contexts, and I think, um, like, especially where, where I am at Berkeley, we have faculty status, but, like, we don't get uh, sabbaticals, and we are um, constantly uh, forgotten about in terms of being included in the faculty. Um, committees. Um, we also don't have the same time off as faculty does. So it's very, it's hard to be seen as an equal when there is so many ways where we're not seen as an equal. Um, but I think that's where we need to do. I think we need to continue to um, explain that, you know, we are, um, you know, we are practitioners. We are, you know, we're teaching and we're learning and we're growing. We have second third master's degree, some of us have PhDs, you know, we are, you know, we, we are at that level. Um, I, a few semesters ago, um, a, I'd say about a year ago, I was approached um, to work with our teaching and learning um, director to um, spearhead a scholarship kind of working group. And it was the two of us and we set, you know, the tone and we set the agendas and the meetings and the topics. And I think this was an opportunity where faculty had not seen the library in that capacity before. 
So in these meetings, you know, we would talk about like um, uh, book chapters or we would try to talk about conference planning and faculty had no idea that the library was even involved in any of those types of things. And I think it really like at the end, I had faculty come up to me and said, oh my God, I had no idea. Can I send you my proposal? Um, can you give me some feedback or what do you think about this? And so it really did open up a lot of avenues for me in terms of networking with faculty and having them see me a little differently. Um, so I think, I think we have to look for those opportunities to be seen as equals. Um, I think we also have to, you know, constantly remind them that we are doing the things that we're doing because I don't think they're aware. Um, I think we need to change the language of how we approach faculty to support them. Um, I, you know, we talked about this at the Horizon Report a few you know, episodes ago, how um, one of the trends is that the libraries and instructional designers really need to kind of get away from that idea of being a service model and more about a collaborator. You know, um, just today in a meeting, I talked about renaming our form for faculty to, to contact a librarian for support. Um, it's currently called request a librarian. Um, I'm looking to change it to collaborate with a librarian. And I think it's a small change, but I think it's a language change. And I think it sets the tone that we are here to collaborate. Yes, we are supporting your students. And yes, we are supporting you, but in a collaborative manner. It's not just, you know, I'm going to do everything for you. Um, I, think that's, I think that's important. Um, and I think another thing is that we do need to take on more leadership roles um, outside of our library. We need to be invited um, to um, the campus-wide committees, and we need to be more active in your faculty senates. Um, I think we just need to be a little more aggressive. I mean, there's some, there's, you know, I think that's the only way to change the culture is to actually be heard and get that seat at the table. Um, and, you know, one example is that, you know, um, that I feel frustrated about is that um, at a faculty senate meeting one time, our librarians were given a spot um, at the faculty meeting to talk about the results of this recent survey that we did to support faculty. And it was our opportunity and we worked on the presentation really hard. And because the meeting ran late, the librarians got pushed off the agenda. And then that's it, it dropped and it never got picked up again. And, and it was frustrating because we worked very hard, first of all, to put that survey together. We worked with institutional effectiveness on the questions. Um, you know, we worked hard to review the data, look for important action items. We worked hard to put the presentation together. And then it just it fell apart because we got pushed out. Um, and that is a theme that I think happens a lot that I've heard from even my supervisor in the past. Like, oh, you know, we're slated to be on the agenda for the board, board of trustees meetings, but I got the last five minutes in the meeting and that's it. So I think, you know, I think that needs, we need to be more aggressive and I need to get better at that. I'm not, I'm not that great at being aggressive, but I, I think. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I'm, I'm that great at being aggressive, maybe within the library, but I don't know. Right. I don't know. I feel like, like half the stuff wouldn't have gotten done that's gotten there if you hadn't, uh, if you didn't have the ability to kind of be like, hey, let's do this. <laughs> Maybe your enthusiasm is just contagious too. It's not necessarily aggressiveness, it's just enthusiasm. <laughs> I 
easy. Maybe it, it is enthusiasm. Yeah. Right. So what about you? What do you think? How can we, we work towards changing the culture? Yeah, I think a lot of the, um, I agree with a lot of the examples you gave, especially because they are system level examples. And I think it probably does need to come from changing it at a system level um, and somehow educating them on what we really do and we, what we really can provide is super important. I mean, we already know from surveys and research around the world that people just in general, in so many different types of libraries, don't know what librarians do. Um, and they think that there's nothing we do outside of the lend books and answer questions model, but there is. Um, so maybe also, I'll say from a, or from a more like individual librarian level, we've read articles and talked about them on the podcast about librarians who have done workshops for faculty about information literacy instruction and what's possible and teaching them about the framework. So I think even small things like that are something that an individual librarian can do to just educate faculty one by one that you know, and building those relationships with them to teach them of, about what we do individually can be something. Um, and I think it might also be kind of interconnected with the culture of faculty in higher ed. And that's not necessarily something that we can control. Um, you know, when libraries differ from institution to institution and we have adjuncts who are forced to move around a lot, um, they can feel a little unstable and it disrupts some of the real relationship building that generates that great collaboration. If, if they're constantly moving around, they can't remember which librarian works at each institution. Um, so even if you can get that level of like relationship and collaboration with full-time faculty, it might be harder to get that widespread culture change among adjuncts. Um, and I empathize with them. Um, I empathize with the adjuncts who have expressed to me personally that they're just really trying to keep the info straight of like, what does your library offer? Because where I work here, they don't offer that. Um, and so I know that also the support and help that they receive from their departments may differ across institutions. So maybe they aren't receiving the support that they need to keep up with emails and keep up with all of that stuff. So, um, so I empathize on that level and yeah. you know, it's not, a lot, there's not a lot we can do about that culture, but I think a lot of what you mentioned and just kind of building relationships where we can is important right. to try. Yeah, I think we're constantly, at least in my library, trying to come up with new outreach models because we feel like we're trying things and they're not working. And but like this semester, we're like, OK, we are going to send an outreach message to all the chairs, because if the chairs send all of their people this email, then they'll definitely open an email from their chair. Because we know, Well, if the chair forwards that email, <laughs> on, um, I, I had maybe half of the chairs that I emailed like follow back up with me and say oh I'm gonna forward this on um, but half of them didn't even respond so I don't know if that message got sent you know um, and so now we're like okay well maybe we can go back and um, send them all an email and ask them you know um, explain to them what the library does oh maybe we'll offer them a workshop where they can learn about the library resources and it's like, I'm not opposed to all of these pronged approaches, but I just feel like it's a lot of work on our part. Um, and it, it's slightly frustrating, you know? I mean, I think it's hard for me now to not think about the system level um, that, you know, I always, I wanna go right to the top and, and get that uh, buy-in first and then work my way down because, so like, for example, uh, at Berkeley, we use Canvas, I've mentioned that before, and we have things called blueprints, which is like, 
you know, like the shell of a course um, with like the standardized content or suggested content. Now, as an adjunct, you, they cannot change that content. Um, and we've, they can add, but they can't take away. And we've seen some things where like the blueprint developers are adding resources from other libraries instead of our own library. And so my thing is, is I don't want to approach an adjunct and go and spin my wheels and spend all this time teaching them about the library when they can't even add anything to their course or they're going to, but it's going to get masked by these other resources. I'd rather go right to the blueprint developer and say, hey, listen, let's work together. Um, but that's something that takes time and planning. And so I'm very system like uh, thinking now, and it's hard for me not to be. Um, cause I, I mean, I was a rep construction librarian, so I definitely wanted to do that grassroots at the bottom. If I can convert one faculty member, I'm happy, but like, I, I can't not get, I can't get it out of my head to not be more like systematic about these things now. Right. Exactly. And that's where you're, that's where you're working at, which totally makes sense. Um, and maybe this is something we'll talk about in a future episode, but, um, you know, also working with the teaching and learning commons that you might have at your institution that, you know, they are already have and are supporting faculty. So they have relationships with them and getting in with them could be an easy way to kind of progress to the system level faster. So yeah. maybe we'll talk about that soon. Yeah, I hope so. For sure. It's, it's, it's a world of difference. Um, I've, I've worked with several TLC directors at this point in my position. So have a, a array of experience of things that work well and things that don't yeah all right so uh going along with those ideas of um working towards changing the culture um we've previously mentioned this article uh by a oh, blog post i should say by kevin sieber right that's his name kevin sieber um and it really jived with what we're talking about with faculty collaboration and so we wanted to kind of um we're going to put it in the show notes but we're also going to um, talk about a few things that we pulled out that we thought were really great. So just a little bit of context. Uh, Kevin um, recently stepped into a role similar to mine. So he's kind of a system level uh, librarian where he's you know, running an instruction program. And he is seeing some differences. And so his, his post is really about um, culture change um, and the way we interact with with faculty. Uh, so we had three quotes that I pulled out that I thought were kind of really um, great to discuss. So I'm just going to share this first one here. Um, the main reason we're here, I think, is tied to the origins of academic librarianship as a service profession. We are told that historically, we were on campus to house books and support the quote, real uh, you know, quote unquote, real faculty, by which I mean faculty who are conducting research and teaching credit bearing courses. And while our duties shifted and we took on new and more evolved, involved responsibilities, including research and teaching, the perception of what we do and who we are did not keep up with the changes. End quote. So I, I, I totally agree with what he's saying here. Yeah, that definitely goes to what we were just saying about, you know, we are so much more than housing books and uh, providing research articles to faculty members who are researching. We're also researching. We're also teaching. And just because we come into the class once or twice a semester doesn't make it any less academically rigorous 
you know, as you said, we're still academics as well, and we're still capable of teaching. So, um, like he said, uh, getting away from that service model would probably be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to perception, like he mentioned, um, even people outside the profession, uh, or academia in general, like, I think a lot of people still don't know what I do. They don't know what my job title means. Um, and I think that's challenging. Uh, because it just it sets a culture. It's a culture shift, um, you know. And interestingly enough, I um, I'm in a discussion board this week about um, it's our library orientation, and a part of the orientation is they participate in a discussion board, and the students have to answer a question about um, what apprehensions have they had about the library. Um, or the librarians and using their services. And a lot of the students are saying like, I had no idea that um, this, the librarians have master's degrees. I had no idea that librarians, you know, are so eager to help students and faculty. And it's just, it just goes to that perception of, you know, what they really think a librarian does all day. Right, yeah, exactly. So the second quote we have is about uh, faculty collaboration. So he says, quote, outside of library instruction though, I know of no other relationship in which faculty in one discipline are routinely told what to do by faculty in other disciplines, end quote. Uh, I remember when I read the blog post um, that he gives some examples of how his librarians were, uh, had some really negative interactions with faculty. So definitely check out the blog post to see where he's coming from with this um, with this quote. And I'm lucky to have never specifically had that, but I think he makes a good point. You know, when faculty are trying, to, if if faculty are trying to tell you how to teach information literacy, that's a problem that doesn't happen in other disciplines. And I think that was a really interesting um, articulate way to put that. Yeah, I but I, I do want to push back a little bit and say that mm -hmm. I think you have experienced that because you previously kind of talked about how that professor like kept interrupting you and saying, you know, oh, don't forget to talk to them about this. Don't forget to talk to them about that. You know, I think that just adds to the idea that the perception that you're not prepared in front of the students or that they don't have the confidence in what you're, you're teaching to the students is what they really need. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that is kind of on the uh, on the less negative end of the spectrum, as opposed to maybe a, a, a faculty member saying like, well, you know, don't teach authority that way. You know, that would be like the worst oh, end yeah. of the spectrum of really trying to tell us how to do our job. So it probably exists on a spectrum. Right. Well, I think also just just thinking back about some things that we've talked about, authority specifically, um, you know, in when we did the framework series, I mentioned that authority is one of the most uh, authorities contextualized and um, oh my God, what is it? Authority is constructed. constructed. Um, is the hardest one for me to teach because so many faculty members push back on what they want students to use for their final sources. So to me, that's a perfect example of a faculty member kind of pushing back on these skill sets that we as experts and professionals are trying to teach their students our students and uh, we're getting pushed back on it and I you know I don't I don't I like he says I've never seen that kind of relationship in any other discipline right uh, so this last quote is um, something that I've always kind of done even before I was um, 
in, in my position. So in this last quote, he says, and maybe the most impactful thing that, that we are telling people is no. We're telling people who think they can ridicule a librarian in class, we don't want to work with you anymore. We're telling faculty who want a session in week 15 because I'm out of content, but I figured visiting the library is a no-brainer, that we are not in the no-brainer business, end quote. I'm totally guilty of the, like, sure, I'll come in in week 15 and talk about anything that I want to talk about. And, you know, and I, but I totally get where he's coming from, that it kind of diminishes the importance of what we do. So I think I've always come from just the like, I'm going to take any opportunity that I want. And it does send the wrong message. Like, yes, there's positives to building as many relationships as you can and getting in front of the classes as much as you can. But he's right that it, it can send up a negative message when what we're trying to do is change how we're seen. And I know you push back on that a lot. I learned a lot about that from you. <laughs> I push back on that a lot. I will not go into a classroom. Like I said, even before I was the director of instruction of our instruction program, I would not go into the classroom without an assignment. I will not go into the classroom if you're not going to be there, if the professor's not going to be there. Um, and I won't go into the classroom at the last minute, like in the 11th hour. No, I'm a professional. I want to be prepared. I'm not coming into your classroom at 6 p.m. on a Monday. Um, and you come to me at 2 o'clock on a Monday. Like, I, I cannot do that. Um, and I think they're surprised. Um, I had a professor, and it was it was kind of awkward, but I really pushed back on it. She was, um, we were friendly. We are friendly. And she said to me, oh, well, I'm going to be at a conference. So, you know, we had everything set. And, and then, like, two days before, she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to be at a conference. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't come to your class. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Can't you do me this favor? And I was like, no, I can't. I've had poor experiences. That's not our policy. You know, the librarians are not substitutes. And I think she was really surprised about it. And um, I didn't go in. And, you know, I've worked with her since, but I think she was really genuinely surprised that I pushed back so hard. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about this too, but the students take it less seriously. Uh, they don't know me. Some of them don't know me. So why would they pay attention to me? You know, <laughs> the professor's not there. Why would they pay attention to me? Why would they see the value in it? Um, so I'm definitely a little stricter than most people are. And like, I try to explain that to my, to my people that I support them 100% for them to say no to a professor about instruction um, in the 11th hour. And I know some like some librarians were like, Oh, it's not a big deal or that they'll just go in and show them the library. No, I'm not showing you the library. Like, what's the purpose of that? That does not do anything for the students. There's no impact there. There's no relevance. They're not gonna pay attention. They're not gonna retain it. So um, I, do, I do that a lot. And then I also push back on something that um, not a lot of people push back on is time. Uh, some professors have said to me, oh yeah, I can give you 15 minutes, and I said, 15 minutes will get you this amount of content. If that's what you want me to cover, I can cover that. But I need more than that. So I push back a lot on that. And some the librarian's like, oh, no, I just go in and show them X, Y, Z, and that's it. To me, it's just you're just contributing to this culture. You're not changing it. Right, exactly. Yeah, so we will put this in the show notes and 
we definitely definitely recommend if you're interested in the topic of faculty collaboration, um, take a read. Absolutely. All right, so let's discuss um, some additional collaboration opportunities that we've had at institution level. Um, why don't you talk about a few of yours? Sure, so I kind of already mentioned um, this one with the Teaching and Learning Center. Um, I, I think it was a great institutional level um, collaborative because we were both coming with different experiences and we were, um, we were working together a lot closely, me and the TLC in general, to kind of come up with these ideas that we felt faculty really needed to work on in terms of um, getting their um, scholarship up, you know, up to par. Um, so I think that was a really great experience for me. It wasn't a successful initiative because nothing was required. It was all optional. Um, so we would set a lot of action items and goals and the faculty didn't always meet those goals because there was no consequences. Um, but it was great, a great opportunity for the library to get seen in a different light. Uh, another example I have is the um, being on a institution level um, committee. So um, my college recently, I'd say two years ago, went through Middle States reaccreditation. And it's a very long process if you've never experienced it before. It's like a two, three year process where you're preparing and you're doing a self-study and you're putting your template together and um, there's a lot of different subgroups. So um, I had the opportunity to be recommended to be on one of the groups for the student's learning experience, which was a natural fit for me. Um, and I was working with faculty and I think it really surprised, again, surprised faculty about how much I knew about the teaching and learning experience and how much the library is actually assessing our student learning and you know, all of these resources that we had to share, um, they were very surprised. But then I had an additional opportunity as it evolved um, to become a co-chair of one of the working groups. And then I was on um, one of the groups that did presentations across all the campuses. So then the library got to be seen at that level in front of the whole entire college community. So it was just a really great networking opportunity and a great um, opportunity to um, get people to learn about what we do that they don't, they're not really sure of. And then my last experience at the institution level is our honors program. So we were very fortunate that um, we are very, involved um, in the honors program, um, in the development of it, in the revision of it, in the workflow of it. Um, we continue to this day to be, to be involved in it. It's, a, it's an ever-evolving uh, program. And I think it really, it is one of our most successful models in a way um, of what collaboration should look like. There's definitely room for improvement, but I think it's definitely become one of those great high contact impacts that librarians have um, with our students. Yeah, I really enjoyed working on the honors program as a, it's such a campus-wide project because it was librarians, it was a writing center, it was faculty, it was administration, and the librarians were really at the top of the leadership for that, which is sometimes different than other um, institution level experiences. So I really got to see a lot of how institutional decisions are made, which was valuable. Um, and I got to work with so many different students and the faculty were so collaborative and that goes to the way the program was designed too. Um, and they were really invested in the students and in the projects. So I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to do 
kind of a, a system-wide um, activity like that to definitely take that on because that can be really it was a lot of work but it was also super valuable yeah definitely all right so let's talk about um what would be our ideal pie in the sky collaboration opportunities and what steps do you think librarians should take to get us there okay um so i have a few so my first pie in the sky would be um to collaborate with faculty on assignment creation um, we actually, you know, we talked about this a little earlier um, about the disconnect sometimes with sources not existing or um, using language. Um, so like, for example, um, we have a management course that we, so, that we don't support, but every semester the students come to chat with us and say, I need to find a scholarly source for this topic. And there is no scholarly source. It's like a it's like a management course where like the sources are more like magazine articles and um, newspaper articles. And but the professor say, says scholarly sources, so it throws the students off, and the students get extremely frustrated. And it, it's like if the faculty had reached out to a librarian about creating this assignment from the beginning, we would have been able to tell them that like that content doesn't exist or we don't have access to what you're looking for. So like that would be like my pie in the sky, like for that, I think, cause like that would just be helpful. I also, um, I'm, I'm current, like I pitched that idea to our teaching and learning center to, to see if we could work with them to do some type of workshop in that capacity. So maybe I'll have some good news to report back on, but I don't know. We'll see. So another example is actual like, collaboration, like feedback, like real feedback on how a session went and, you know, what they're really looking for. Like, I, I think that's, it's not so glamorous pie in the sky, but like, like I said, it's not been my experience. It's been like the, you know, the exception. Uh, another thing which is I'm determined to do is like authentic program integration. Like I really, I think the only way for information literacy to be successful is for it to be authentically integrated into programs. And I'm trying at my institution to do this, but it's such a slow going process. Um, you know, I'm working backwards and I'm waiting for people to respond to me and it's just been frustrating. But like, to me, I would love it. Like my goal actually was this year by July was to have, an entire school done and be authentically integrated. Um, but that's been put on hold because uh, faculty aren't getting back to me, chairs aren't getting back to me. So it's kind of dead in the water if the collaboration isn't there. Uh, and then the last would be, my real pie in the sky would be to just be invited to the table when things start, not when they're finished. Um, you know, if a new program is, is, is being developed or, if a program is up for review, like there should be a checklist of departments that, that should be included in that conversation. And I really wish that the library was one of those conversations um, and not just for, okay, how many databases do we have to support this? It should also be, well, what skills do our students need to be successful in this program? You know, what research skills do they need? Um, you know, just today, not to go on a tangent, but just today, we, um, I'll talk about this a little later actually, briefly, is we had a meeting with advisement um, to talk, like to basically cross train 
And one of the things they said was, is that these students are getting, you know, written up for plagiarism, but they're not really even learning about plagiarism somewhere systematically in their, in their coursework. So, you know, if, a lib if the library was given that opportunity to be somewhere on the system level to introduce that topic, you know, we can at least say, well, you know, students are introduced to that topic in this class by the library. But we can't even say that because it's just not happening. So those are some of my pie in this, guys. I mean, I'm sure I have a bunch more, but like those are like the ones that like I really, really want to happen that I think are in in reality attainable. They're really not as pie in the sky, but like it's just there's a lot of layers of challenge. Right. Exactly. I think you're right. It's it seems like they're pie in the sky because there are so many challenges to getting there. Um, I agree with all of those. I would love to be involved in like assignment creation, you know, the authentic program integration. I think you've already gotten um, a few of those uh, completed, like you said. So it's just going to take you a, long, a little bit longer to, to keep going through the whole college of majors and things like that. Um, I think in general at certain institutions, it just, it takes a leader to start those coordinated conversations sometimes, like whether it's someone like you in a specific position to do so or uh, maybe it's one librarian who makes an effort to reach out to a faculty member to do a syllabi research in a program, like to plant that seed. Um, it seems like these co those types of coordinated collaborations that you're talking about really need like focused, intentional plans to work and not necessarily just librarians reaching out scatteredly to faculty members. Um, but as we talked about, that can be valuable. There is a place for both. Um, but I think the pie in the sky ideas really kind of require some more coordinated collaboration, but not impossible. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap things up, I found this great article that talks about some tips on how to improve the faculty library and collaboration. So I thought I'd share them and then we can just kind of go a little bit back and forth about them. So the first one is take initiative. Uh, I think librarians already do that, um, but I think there's always room um, for more, you know, I think our typical um, model is don't wait for faculty to reach out to you, uh, reach out to them. You know, I'm definitely a little exhausted by this model, but I think it's the only way we're going to get things done, unfortunately. Another, yeah, yeah definitely, another, I agree. Another thing is, um, another example of taking initiative is uh, just this week, like I just mentioned, we provided outreach to our advisement department to schedule a meeting with them to provide cross-training um, and to brainstorm with them ways that we can refer students more often, that they can refer students more often to the library. So, um, you know, we felt that advisement didn't necessarily know what the library did um, and how we could help because we were finding out that they were only like really recommending the students to the writing center and not the library. But you know what, writing and research go hand in hand. So um, we were like, you know, we have to meet with them. And we met with them and I think it was successful. Um, there's no real huge, you know, takeaways, but to them, they learned about the library and they learned about how much instruction we really do. So, you know, it was, it was our part, you know, by taking that initiative to reach out to them. And it was, it was successful because it was just one email and they got back to us and they agreed right away. So that was a great example of like some quick initiative that we could, you know, handle. Yeah. And I think as 
me as the newest person at my institution, I think it can kind of be overwhelming to not know all of how things are done. At least that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. And I have so many questions about like, well, how do we do this? And how do we do that? And um, I'm trying to space out my questions a little bit or do the research myself, right? Like I have these questions, so I'm going to ask them and, and or research them to figure them out um, so that I can kind of make these suggestions of different ways that we can do things. But it can sometimes feel overwhelming as the new person to be like, well, how do we do things? Because it's different from where I came from. Right. Well, and I also think as a new person, you have a lot of great leverage. And then maybe that's my fault that I didn't necessarily take on that leverage when I was in my, when I stepped into my new role, which is not so new anymore. Um, but you could definitely, I think you could definitely get away with providing outreach to faculty or chairs or whatever, whatever your boss is comfortable with you doing and saying, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm new. You know, I really just want to understand a little bit more about X, Y, Z, you know, would you be willing to meet with me? You know, I think, I think that is like great because you're introducing yourself and you're also learning more and looking for opportunities, right. which kind of like goes into the next um, recommendation or tip, which so seize opportunities. So I think it's important for you to keep, you know, keep our quote unquote, our ears to the ground and look for new ways to get involved. Um, one example I have is a few semesters ago, Berkeley decided to take up this initiative, um, writing across, writing and communication across the curriculum. And the library did this great, we did a quick syllabi review and we looked at the courses that they were targeting and we actually did outreach to those professors and said, you know, you're teaching a communication across the curriculum course and we see an opportunity for information literacy um, in your course. Can we come in? We did. We got into a lot of different classes that we never got into before. Um, but because we had that like leverage, you know, it was something new. It was initiative. So like it, it felt very purpose driven. Um, and that was um, a great opportunity for the library. Right. Exactly. So, you know, keeping up on, with newsletters from different departments, you know, even on their social media, like what's everybody working on to, uh, to keep up with things. Right. And then the next tip is I kind of, I'm kind of struggling with giving you an example here, but we'll see. Maybe I can think of one um, or maybe you can think of one. So the next uh, recommendation is be open minded. Yeah, I mean, maybe just thinking back to the writing and communication initiative, you may not have thought that, you know, that the library would have been a good fit for that because it was only about writing. You know, maybe we belong more in the English classes. So just because it doesn't necessarily seem like a good fit or that people are going to say no, right? Like be open-minded to the fact that people might say yes to your suggestion. Yeah, that's true too. And I guess you can also think about, you know, be open-minded to the fact that maybe you had an expectation of um, going into a class and doing three things. And maybe the professor, for example, says, uh, I'm interested in this one thing. And, you know, so it might not be what you originally thought you wanted to do or, or what you thought you were going to get done, um, but you have to be open-minded that maybe that relationship will evolve. Right. Another uh, tip is be purpose-driven. Um, I think that's so important. I am all about tracking the success of something. I, you know, every time we take on a project, I always ask my people, um, you know, what value does this add to what we're trying to accomplish? Uh, does it steer us in a different direction? Um, 
you know, we really want to be methodical. Our time is valuable. We have, we have the problem of too many projects. And so I don't want people to be overwhelmed. So I am always, always encouraging people to be purpose-driven with any project that we take on. Yeah, I think that one definitely makes sense. You want to stop a minute and think before you dive into every single thing. And, uh, and you don't want to do work that doesn't need to be done, right? Or have to redo your work because you may do it like halfway and go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I probably should have started this differently. So it's definitely great to stop and think first. Right, exactly. I think it goes back to like that. Um, we always go back and forth sometimes with um, creating something and showing it to faculty or waiting, talking to faculty, getting their buy-in, then creating it. Because it's, it's like you want to show them what you can do, but you want to make sure that they're going to use it. So it's like you don't want to waste all your time if you don't know it's going to get used. I mean, I've, like I said, I've gotten burned that way a few times, which is unfortunate. Yeah, we kind of talked about it a little bit in the gamification episode, right? Like, if you're going to approach a faculty member with a game, sometimes having it built out a little bit at least gives them a flavor of what it would be like. But maybe instead of building out the whole game and wasting all that time, you'd be a little more purpose-driven of like, well, I'm going to build out a game that would appeal to multiple faculty members, right? So you're at least being a little more purpose-driven with that and thinking it through. Right, exactly, agreed. And then the last one, which I think is super hard, is to break down silos. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about silos in academia, and I think the library is no stranger to that. Um, you know, I think we are the only ones who are going to do it. I think we just need to keep advocating, keep pushing back. Like I said, I think I need to get better at that. Um, I think we also need to keep correcting people as to what we do and how we can collaborate. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're not going to get our message out once and it's going to click for people. We need to keep coming back. We need to come, keep coming, looking for those opportunities. Um, and then just keep sending our message to faculty. And it's can be challenging and frustrating and exhausting, but if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Right. And actually, we've been talking about on our social media team of like what we're going to do for the summer. And especially with trying to reach new students and first year students that are coming in. And we had talked about doing a kind of like meet the librarian um, set of posts, kind of a campaign mm -hmm. and talking about what we each do and how can we help you. And the goal initially, right, our purpose was to reach students, but I think at the same time, that also is valuable for faculty who followed our social media pages too, because they do. Some of them follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and if we're having in our little videos or excerpts that, you know, this is what the instruction librarians do. Here's how to find out more information. Um, it is, like you said, just continuing to get our message out there in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So that wraps up um, our I think pretty comprehensive discussion on faculty collaboration and you know our experiences and challenges and hopefully some ideas to inspire you to move your your library's collaboration forward. Um, we look forward to hearing from you guys if you have if you want to share some of your experiences with us. Okay, so this is the point in our episode where we talk about what we've learned this week. So Jessica, what have you learned? 
I learned about an awesome new book that I'm halfway through. It's kind of new, I think. It's new to me because I've been waiting for it on hold for like 10 weeks from the library for audiobook. <laughs> um, but it is the called The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. Um, and she's like a Hugo Award winner for fantasy. She has done amazing work before. Um, but this is the first that I'm reading by her. Um, and it's about New York City and an ancient evil. And I just love how she captures the city so well. Like I grew up in Queens and even in like the first like 10 minutes of the audiobook, I was laughing out loud and saying, oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> um, and on top of being like laugh out loud funny, it's creepy, it's, um, it's got fantasy. And I think also if you've never been to New York City, I think it's still valuable because you get so many different views of what it can be like. So um, I think I just learned how awesome this book is and I'm excited to finish it. I'm already halfway through and I got it like two days ago. Oh, that's so exciting. First of all, I'm jealous that you're getting to read any, well, you're not, you're reading, but you're listening. So right, listening. <laughs> I haven't read a single book in quarantine life. Okay. Not a single, <laughs> I'm so upset. Everyone's talking about how much reading they've gotten done. None. I, I'm still working through the same book from March. People. Oh my God, that should be your goal. Set like 10 oh, minutes a day to just read. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's out of control. But I know I, I've been doing a lot of audio. I actually just started a new book. Um, it's a bio, uh, autobiography. So we'll see how that goes. But so far, Good. so. Uh, so what I've learned this week is I'm really trying to um, get better at managing my time because time is precious these days. And I... Um, I don't know what even prompted me to do this, but I went back to an old episode of a podcast that I listened to called um, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And they talk about productivity and creating good habits. And one of the things that they said was uh, to create good habits, you know, um, you might consider pairing your new habit with an old habit and that helps you develop the new habit. So um I think my problem is, is I, and we, I think we talked about this too. Um, I'm always trying new ways to increase my productivity and the things that I need to get done for that day. So I'm trying to um, create a new habit of setting my goals of the things that I want to get done for the week um, on Monday. Uh, for the entire week, and then not having to think about it every single day, just saying, okay, this is what I've slotted for each day. So I've decided to pair that with, um, at Berkeley, we have to submit timesheets. So I pair that with um, submitting my, my timesheet on Mondays. And so far, I've been, I, um, I did it this week, and it was helpful. I mean, it's a short week, um, so I did it yesterday. Uh, so we'll see if I continue, but I thought that that was a good recommendation that if you want to start a new habit, pair it with an old habit, and then it kind of like just becomes routine. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I I feel like I'm in the opposite boat of you, though, that I'm trying to be less productive. <laughs> well, okay, let me take that back. Not be less productive. I'm trying to focus less on being productive and focus more on, I guess I'm focusing my productivity on personal stuff. Like I want, I've never had a structured morning and evening routine. It's normally just been like, well, I'll read a book when I want, or I'll meditate when I want, or, you know, I'll wash my face today, but, you know, I'll moisturize tomorrow, right? Like, it's just been so scatterbrained, especially since I've had my son, like, he's three and a half at this point, And God knows what my morning evening routines have been 
since then. I can't even remember what it was like beforehand. Um, so I've been so much more focused on those types of things. Like, am I getting my walk in today? I actually downloaded an app called Streaks, and you can pick all of these different tasks that you want to like keep track of as habits. And every day you can just check them off. Oh. And it reminds you at certain times of day, whenever you want to be reminded. So like, I like to meditate right before bed. So it reminds me at 10 o'clock, like get this in, um, or reading a book, you know, 10 minutes before bed, I have that one set for the same time. So uh, I like that one. And it's helping me to, especially during this crazy quarantine, stay at home time, it's so easy to let those personal self care things um, go to go, fall to the wayside. So it's been helping me to keep up with that. And I feel like if I'm if I keep that under control, I can keep my productivity in other places under control. Right. I, you know, I guess maybe productivity isn't the right word. I think it's more like, I don't have a lot of time to spare anymore. Like, so yeah. I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting everything done in according to the deadline that it needs to be done by so that I don't let anything slip. So yes. I that I'm trying to just manage my time better um, and not be stressed out about it every day and say, like spend like 20, 30 minutes saying, okay, what do I have to do today? I can just kind of start my day um, and just go right to that list. Um, so yeah, in a way, I guess that is kind of self care, because you're managing your time better so that you're not stressed out. And then you don't have to like, you won't get sick or, you know, have anxiety. Or that is a form of self care. Uh, one o'clock in the morning doing work. <laughs> exactly. So, <Right. laughs> so I thought that was a good tip. So um, that's what I kind of I learned this week. Cool. All right, so that wraps up another episode of the Librarian's Guide to Teaching. Here's where you can find us. You can find the podcast at librarian underscore guide. You can find Jessica at librarygeek611. You can find me, Amanda, at historybuff820. You can always email us at infoletteachingpodcast at gmail.com. Also, be sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We would love to hear from you in the reviews.